This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. This is the first episode of 2024, and I'm excited to be bringing you a story that's quite close to my heart. If you've listened to our episodes, you'll likely be expecting me to share an anecdote from my life or some philosophical musings related to the story to follow. This week, however, that would be somewhat redundant, as the story comes from yours truly. Please enjoy my own story about how, sometimes, love takes a bit of blood, sweat, and tears to thrive. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in November 2023, Second Story is proud to present Spearmint. I sank deep into our living room armchair, my partner Liz fully stretched out on the couch across the room. It was barely 7 a.m. and we had already cleaned up three distinct accidents, pulled out two separate choking hazards, and closed the door on our cat to keep him safe. It was at this point that our new baby girl trotted in after us, coughed, and promptly vomited her entire breakfast onto our floor. My weak stomach and morning exhaustion sent me sprinting to the bathroom, afraid of following in her footsteps. Now, I love dogs. For Liz and I, adopting a dog was never a question of if, but rather when it would happen. Our family was going to have a dog eventually, and now we did. In the early days, though, it became clear that our beautiful new husky spearmint had come to us from some sort of traumatic situation. All the rescue agency had told us was she came off of a truck from Texas. Spearmint would inhale her food in seconds. And if you came near her while she was eating, she'd growl and bare her teeth. Anything she considered food was hers, and that included treats, toys, and trash. She'd eaten everything from stuffed animal to squirrel carcass, and her favorite food was napkin. (laughs) In these early days of parenthood, Liz and I were concerned about her diet. Spearmint seemed to have a weak stomach, so when she picked up something inedible on our walks, it was common to bend down, give a firm no, and fish it out of Spearman's mouth. Meanwhile, Liz and I worked to adjust our lives for a new family member. We settled on 8 a.m. alarms to get Spearman out of her crate for breakfast and first walk. Our cat Prince found his home in the uppermost shelves of our bedroom closet, (laughs) far away from his new sister. Liz and I had been together for over three years, living together for the past one, and this was our first big hurdle to get through. But Liz and I understand each other. On the nights where my exhaustion made me so depressed I could barely eat, Liz stood by me in the kitchen and talked me through it. On the days where Liz was so overloaded with work she couldn't even think about Spearmint, I took care of all the feedings and walks so she could focus. Being a parent is a team effort, even if your kids have four legs and fur. Things changed one night when Spearmint woke us up at 2 a.m. barking her head off. This was unlike her, 
usually a few barks when we first put her in the crate at night, but never this. We stumbled out of bed to check on her, let her out. Um, I should say, if you are eating or squeamish, close your ears for a second or two. And she promptly pooped blood all over the floor. After a quick clean, we hopped in the car and headed to the animal emergency room. Several long hours later, the vets explained that her tests showed a slight liver deficiency and sent us home with a prescription. Spearmint slept like a baby the rest of the night. I was grateful she was okay and arguably more grateful I had just gotten a new job with a much larger salary. <laughs> Over the next few days, Spearmint's energy grew as the medicine did its job. She became more playful, more excited. It was like watching the real spearmint come to life now that she had a working liver. Liz and I would stand at opposite ends of the apartment and call her name, watching spearmint sprint up and down our hall from mom to dad and back again. One fine summer evening, Liz went off for a celebratory end of season dinner with her coworkers. Spearmint and I said goodbye, and we got ready for Spearmint's evening walk. The walk itself was uneventful. But as we entered our apartment's fenced-in backyard, she reached down and picked up a massive clod of dirt and grass off of the ground. Now, obviously, dirt and grass are not food. Her stomach had been improving since she started on the liver pills, but I wasn't taking any chances on more vet visits. So as I'd done many times before, I said a firm no and reached out to take her new treat from her. As my hand neared her mouth, Spearmint jerked away and bared her teeth. As I reached closer, she dropped the dirt clod and sunk her teeth directly into my outstretched hand. Her massive canine punctured the dead center of my palm. Adrenaline pumping, I dropped her leash, left her in the yard, and ran inside to put pressure on the wound and call Liz. I grabbed a dish towel and placed it firmly down on my hand. Wriggling out my phone, I called Liz and she didn't pick up. I looked outside the window and Spearmint laid there in the grass, smiling up at me, curious why dad wasn't out there to play with her. I called Liz again, still no answer. At some point, our neighbors had brought their corgi outside and the two dogs were running around the yard, oblivious to the attack that had only just happened. Finally, I pulled my last resort. I called Liz's boss, who I thankfully also knew quite well and she did answer the phone. I told Liz plainly, I need you to come home and take me to the hospital. Spearmint bit me. Liz's reply was simple as well. I'll be there as soon as I can. I sat down and tried to breathe calmly while my hand twitched and pulsed with every little move. The pain was one thing, it did hurt, but the fact that it was from Spearmint was worse. My family had adopted our dog Pebbles when I was four years old. Pebbles' previous owners had been starving her, and she never so much as growled at anyone. You could put your hand in her food bowl while she ate, and all she'd do was lick it. I loved Spearmint already, but no one else saw the look in her eyes when she lunged at my hand, and I never wanted to see it again myself. Liz brought Spearmint in through the back door. Spearmint? happy to see me, attempted to run up to say hi to dad. I flinched away, afraid to even be near her. Liz got her in the crate while I focused on not passing out, and off we went to the ER. Apparently, B 
bitten by a dog is a bit of a magic word at the emergency room. We waited less than an hour to be brought back and checked out. The nurses explained it was safer to not stitch it up, instead let it breathe so the bacteria can leave or die or whatever it is bacteria do. They cleaned my palm, covered it in ointment, dressed it in bandages, and sent us home with a bag full of supplies and a prescription for antibiotics. The next few days were a bit of a blur. I explained time and again that, yes, my dog bit me, and yes, she's an idiot, and yes, my hand was going to heal just fine. Once or twice a day, Liz would turn away from the pulsing red and yellow wound, looking back just enough to help me redress it. I did my best to hold up my half of the care, but even leaning down to take Spearman's harness off made my breath catch. Liz and I exchanged knowing looks and sympathetic glances, but neither of us were ready to have the conversation we needed to have. The timing, however, was auspicious. Liz and I had had a vacation planned for less than a week after the bite. With my hand tightly wrapped, we dropped the kid off with our grandparents, Liz's parents, and headed to the airport. Before we left, we gave them strict instructions just to let her eat anything she found on the ground. We arrived in Portland, let ourselves into Liz's brother's house, who was conveniently out of town till the next day, and breathed. The first night, we tried to let ourselves relax. The exhaustion of the week and the travel took over. As we sat on the couch, Liz turned to me and said, neither of us wants to talk about this, but we need to. I know, I don't want to give her up, but I'm scared of her. I can't live with something I'm scared of. Liz, as always, was the pragmatic one. We just have to train her better and she'll be fine. Dogs do this, it's normal, especially for rescues. Meanwhile, I found myself circling around excuses. We've been trying so much already. Our cat lives in our closet and in just two months of vet visits and medicine, we've already spent half the money the agency recommended we budget for the first year. The conversation went back and forth like this for a while. There were many tears. Liz knowing she couldn't force me to keep Spearmint and me knowing I couldn't force Liz to give her up. Then Liz hit me with the line that changed everything. Max, we need to do this. You need to do this because it's hard and you don't do hard things. Have you ever had someone you love cut you straight to the core? I mean, just look right at you and call you completely on your bullshit. If you've never been absolutely and fully read like I was, I cannot recommend it enough. I've always known I have a habit for taking the easy way out. But hearing Liz say it, that made it real. At the end of our trip, I flew home a few days early for work and Spearmint stayed with Liz's folks till she came back too. It was weird being home without them. The house felt empty enough without Liz, but I realized then how much Spearmint had already become a part of our home. When they both returned, we got to work making our home comfortable and safe for all of us. There wasn't any one big change, and the work is still happening. Liz and I still play hide and seek to remind Spearmint to come when we call her name. Spearmint is still slowly learning that uh-uh, 
means stop whatever it is you're doing right now. Liz and I continue to work through rotating walk schedules so both she and I can sleep in an equal enough number of days of the week. Even Prince has begun getting comfortable enough to come down from the closet while Spearman's out and about. In the mornings, Spearman runs into the bedroom to wake up whichever parent didn't let her out of the crate with good morning kisses. At 5.30 every afternoon, Spearman comes into our office and pulls my arm away from my keyboard with her nose, demanding attention at the end of the workday. One fall evening, with the cool weather threatening, Liz and I decide Spearman's ready for her first trip to the dog park. The fenced-in area is filled with dogs and dog parents alike, and Spearmint jumps and strains with excitement as we get closer. Every few minutes, though, she runs back on over to us, making sure mom and dad know she's having fun. This story was produced by Jenna Myers, curated by Andrew Riley, and directed by Elisa Feder. Music was by Justin Cavazos, and sound engineering was by Michael Benedict. The Second Story Podcast is produced by Max Spitz. To be the first to hear about updates and new episodes, sign up for our podcast listserv at 2ndstory.com backslash podcast, or subscribe to the Second Story Podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Aldawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.